turn with me again this morning to the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 2. Before we read, just want to note that um, in, in the next few weeks, we're going to take a break from uh, Mark here and, and do a topical study on, on the topic of baptism. And uh, thinking that of that in, in a couple of um, connections, um, first, just as we continue to study the gospel here together and study the life and the ministry of Christ and his calling to discipleship and what that means, one of the greatest gifts God has given to us in, in understanding that, um, growing in that grace, is our baptisms. Uh, but then secondly, just as we've added another covenant child in, in Addie, who's here with us today and anticipating baptism there, I want to just take some time to think about that as well. So uh, next week we'll be talking about the, just the, the meaning and, and purpose of baptism. And then uh, after that, uh, who do we baptize? And particularly thinking about uh, how and why, we, why it is we baptize our children as well. And then um, thinking about the, the how of, of baptism after that as well. But today, Mark chapter 2, verses uh, 14 through 17, this is uh, God's holy infallible word. So give careful attention as it's read here. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And it happened that he was reclining... Uh, at table in his house, that's Jesus in Levi's house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. When the scribes and the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician. But those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I'll end our reading there this morning. Uh, if you're looking for a job, I just saw a headline that uh, J.C. Penney is searching for a new CEO. Um, in reality, I think none of us will get a call from from their board of directors. Probably, uh, when when multi-billion-dollar companies need to appoint chief. Uh, officers, they take time to do a thorough search, but on a, on a narrow, uh, strictly narrow group of, of candidates, really, or specialized. They're vetted for qualifications and special experience and specialized training, and uh, they spare no expense in that, in that search because the task is, is so consequential for such a large company. The responsibility is huge. The stakes are high for uh, many stakeholders. Uh, compare that, compare what we know about our, our society's marketplace, um, building businesses and so on, to the coming of Jesus and particularly his choosing of disciples, who and how he chose. Jesus wasn't selecting CEOs and CFOs for a company, that's, that's not my comparison, but Jesus did handpick disciples to become apostles of the church who would be given great responsibility for the church and over the church, which, which is the body of Christ, is, is the family of God. They would be given responsibility, some of them, for writing the New Testament, writing the Word of God for God's people. Uh, Paul says the church would be built upon the foundation of the apostles, on their, on their teaching and their leadership. And so, compared even with a, a, a huge corporation, the stakes are far higher in a sense, in, in Jesus choosing apostles to lead 
uh, the church, believe the beginning of the New Testament church. We might expect a more rigorous search for even more highly qualified candidates and the people that, that Jesus chooses than a, than a company looking for a CEO. The, 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 the consequences are not just dividends to shareholders or you know, clothes to customers, that kind of thing. The consequences are, are salvation of souls and proclaiming the gospel and uh, building the kingdom. Uh, writing the Gospels and the New Testament, guiding the church in, in its faith and life. So, uh, the account that we have before us this morning, and, and a few others like it, um, serve not simply to tell us the names of the Apostles, like Jesus chose this guy, then he chose that guy, um, but also, and, and especially with the calling of Levi, more than maybe any other, um, it drives us to ask, why did Jesus choose him? How could Jesus choose Levi as a disciple, as one of the apostles? And, and I hope we'll see why that should be a, a question that has to come to our mind. And, and Jesus' choice of his disciples, we should understand, is not, uh, they're not random choices. They're also not based on the models of, of companies or kings or other organizations that we're familiar with. The reasons Jesus chooses who he does reveals more about who he is and what his mission and what his purpose are. And, and so as, as we consider that question this morning, how, how could Jesus choose Levi? Um, I want you also to think, why did Jesus choose you? And, and to what did Jesus call you and why? Well, looking at number one on your outline uh, there in the bulletin this morning, um, we're told, again, in verse 14, that Jesus uh, saw Levi. The man that Jesus called here was Levi. And uh, Luke and Mark both uh, tell this account and, and call him Levi. Uh, Matthew has virtually the same account of calling him a tax collector that he calls Matthew. And so there's been a little bit of debate about whether these are two different tax collectors that Jesus called. But uh, Mark and Luke later list all 12 disciples, and they have a Matthew and no Levi. So uh, it's virtually certain that, that Matthew is Levi. Levi is Matthew. We don't know why he had these two names. Maybe Jesus gave him the name Matthew later, and that's what be, be, he became known by. Uh, we don't, don't know for sure. But it says that he was sitting in the tax booth. And I'm going to make reference a few times this morning to Luke's account of the calling of Levi, of the calling of Matthew. Uh, Luke's account is, is almost the same, it's just a little bit longer, has a few clarifying details that will help. For example, he says that Matthew was a tax collector. He wasn't just uh, at the tax booth, but the, the implication here, even in Mark, of course, is that he was a tax collector. So we need to understand what a tax collector was, what it meant for Jesus to call a tax collector, to understand um, this passage well. The tax collectors were hated by the Jews, legitimately hated by the Jews. They, they were those who had decided to work for Rome. Uh, the Romans were the occupiers, right? They were the perceived oppressors of the Jews, and so most of them hated Rome for that, and, and so tax collectors were essentially traitors. They, they switched sides. They were working for the oppressor. Um, that wasn't the only reason that they were hated, though. Um, the, the, when they're just, when uh, Matthew and Zacchaeus are described as tax collectors, it, it literally reads tax renters, uh, tax renters, and that reflects the fact that uh, tax collecting in the Roman Empire was essentially uh, privatized. Uh, they they uh, broke it into various districts, and they would they would give over the tax collecting to the highest bidder. 
to 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 a renter. They were called. That's why they were called tax renters. So. Um, Imagine that the state of Colorado did their taxes this way. They would they would say, you know, we need a hundred million dollars from Boulder this year, and we need seventy million dollars from Longmont this year. And and say Ken goes to the state and says, I'll, I'll collect seventy million dollars and and deliver it to Colorado. And uh, Craig goes to Colorado and, and, and to the state and says, Well, I'll collect eighty million dollars for Colorado. And so they they give it. To him, he becomes the tax renter, and he hires other people to work for him and, and collect taxes. Now, we in Longmont wouldn't know how much the state wanted or how much they contracted to get, and so Craig would go around and uh, collect uh, maybe $90 million and keep all the surplus for himself. And that's, that's how the system worked. That's how tax collectors made their money, and they were, they were well off, and they were wealthy, and uh, they would um, set up collection of taxes for various goods and services and, and comings and goings and so on and, and try to get as much as they could out of the people in their in their region. Uh, Matthew, Levi, likely worked for one of these highest bidders, one of these tax renters. Um, part of our understanding of that is that Zacchaeus, for example, is described a little differently. He's called a chief tax collector. So he's probably one of these tax renters, one of these highest bidders that hired people like Levi uh, to work for him, uh, to work under him. But my point in all of this is that the system of tax collection uh, was built on, was premised on extortion and, and uh, corruption. It, the system was corrupt, but it's, it's not that tax collectors tended to be um, uh, dishonest and, and corrupt and that sort of thing. That's how the system worked, right? That, that's how it worked. They, they were trying to squeeze as much as they could out of out of all the people. Like kids just watched the Disney um, uh, Robin Hood the other day. This just this came to mind, but it's a, kind of a good example of that. And the the sheriff in that movie, if you've seen that movie, going around and you know shaking animals upside down, trying to get as much money out of them all the time as he could. So that's how the tax collectors were viewed, but it's also how they operated. So they, they were hated not only because they were in cahoots with Rome, with the uh, occupier, but because they were also swindlers and, and corrupt, um, because that's how the system worked. And so the point of all that is that when, when it says that Jesus called Levi, who was a tax collector, this guy sitting in the tax booth, um, it's not just a passing reference to his occupation. As if Jesus saw Levi the baker and said, come and follow me, or saw Levi the teacher and said, come and follow me. Uh, he called a tax collector. Uh, maybe something of a rough pa uh, a parallel in our setting would be, you know, a pastor's looking for someone to fill a position in his church, and he notices a, a sleazy, corrupt car salesman who's also a Russian spy and says, hey, come and, you know, come and lead our children's ministry. You know, it would be that kind of shocking and, and strange. Well, for especially those of us who know the rest of the New Testament, know the significance of, of the calling of the apostles. Uh, again, why did Jesus call Matthew or, or Levi a tax collector? Why does Jesus particularly single out a tax collector to be part of his, his inner circle of disciples? Uh, a man who certainly had been dishonest and disliked and, and disloyal among the Jews. Again, that's not how companies choose executives. This isn't how uh, kings, Jesus was a, a king, right? This isn't how kings choose people for their court. They, they search for men of power and prestige and expertise and people who will add to their glory. 
Uh, this isn't even how you choose someone to mow your lawn, right? Someone with, with this kind of a reputation. So let's, let's consider that question uh, in interaction with the Pharisees' response here. Uh, moving on to number two on your outline. Uh, this question of, you know, how could Jesus choose a tax collector is basically the question of the Pharisees, but actually they're, they're thinking even, their criticism is even on a more basic level. Uh, the scene of verse 16 here is Levi holding a banquet for Jesus and, and for Levi's friends. Uh, verse 15 describes that. Um, and in verse 16, the response of the Pharisees is, uh, why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? Um, Luke makes, uh, again, a little bit more explicit what's going on here. Luke describes Le uh, Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. Uh, Levi was excited uh, about what he had found in Jesus. He was eager to, to show his gratitude, and, and he invites all of his tax collector friends. And they're having a party together. And so the Pharisees' concern is, is really beyond, you know, why would Jesus call this guy to follow him and learn from him? It's, it's how can Jesus even associate with one of these people? And that shows you the level of disdain for tax collectors. How can he even associate with these lowlifes, these, these sinners? And that's, that's a common accusation against Jesus throughout his ministry. We, we should recognize, particularly uh, the Gospel of Luke records these. Uh, Mark doesn't have these examples that, that I'll share, but Luke 7, um, Jesus says, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Or Luke 15, uh, it says, The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And Luke 19 uh, it says, when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. That was their reaction to his uh, eating it with Zacchaeus uh, after Zacchaeus' conversion. Well, verse 17, Jesus responds to this grumbling and says, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And then the point of that illustration is clear, right? Healthy people aren't those who go to a doctor. It's, it's people who are ill, who, who need some help with some physical problem. Jesus has come for the sake of sinners, for the sake of those whose, whose lives are, are even more uh, desperate or, or messed up. These are the kind of people I came for, Jesus is saying. If, if these people are such uh, worse sinners, he's saying to the Pharisees, then they need forgiveness and grace and deliverance all the more. That's why I came. Uh, Jesus is not condoning their sin in, in, in having a, a banquet with a bunch of um, you know, corrupt, swindling tax collectors. Jesus isn't condoning their, their behavior. Uh, they would be those who also had essentially left the covenant people of God or not walking, walking with the Lord as well. But the, the key to seeing that, I think, is, is in verse 17, what's implied, where Jesus said, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He came to call sinners, right? to, to call them to himself, to call them away from something else. Now, again, um, again, this is a little bit more, more clear in, uh, in Luke. Uh, what, what, what Mark uh, implies here Luke says, uh, quotes Jesus, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
He has come to call them to repentance. And, and the rest of Jesus' teaching makes clear he's, he calls all people to repentance. That's not that the Pharisees are not in need of repentance or mercy or, or forgiveness. Right? When Jesus said, it seems to, it seems to sound like he, he's saying, there, there are some who are righteous, there are some who are sinners, so I've, I've come for the sinners. He's not saying that. It's not that the Pharisees are, are the righteous. They don't see that need. They don't see themselves as needy sinners. They view themselves as the righteous. I, I used a number of doctoral illustrations last week. Jesus uses one this week. He, he's essentially the Pharisees are, are someone uh, like someone who goes to the doctor and, and refuses the diagnosis. Right? No, I'm I'm fine. Now the Pharisees and the tax collectors would have lived very different lives. Right? We're not saying the tax collectors are, are just misunderstood. They're really pretty good guys. They're, they're not. That's, that's part of the point here. Uh, the Pharisees, though they were misguided in many ways, made many efforts to live pious lives within the covenant community and to please God and so on, and the tax collectors simply were not. But the ultimate and most important thing that distinguishes Levi at this point and, and other people with significantly immoral lifestyles that Jesus spent time with, the, the, the ultimate and most important thing that distinguishes them from the Pharisees is simply repentance at this point. Response to Jesus now. Right? Jesus is not, not weighing people's resume over the last decade uh, in terms of who is worthy of, of fellowship with him and following him. It's simply their response to him now. They're, they're, and, and Levi and others are, it is implied, acknowledging their sinfulness, their unworthiness, their need of mercy, their need of forgiveness, and their resolve to turn away from sin and to follow Jesus. Now, again, that's not, that's not spelled out or explicit here in detail. We don't have a lot of detail of the interaction between Jesus and Levi. You can be sure that it's, it's far more than just Jesus walking by one saying, day and saying, follow me. Somehow Levi came to, to know Jesus, to interact with him, came to repentance. And so Jesus calls him to follow him. But that can be assumed from, from Jesus' whole teaching. He says elsewhere that anyone who would follow him has to be willing to give up everything, to take up their cross, to die to self. Right? There are examples of other interactions with, um, of Jesus with, with Jews who would have been looked down on as, as especially bad sinners, uh, where Jesus compassionately engages with them, but he confronts their sin. He calls them to repentance. So the, the woman at the well, for example, right? he compassionately confronts her with her adultery. Or Zacchaeus, he's called to repentance for his extortion of others. Jesus confronts Levi and other tax collectors and other people in, in various sins in order to give mercy, to, to call them to walk in righteousness. We saw a couple of weeks ago Jesus, the example of Jesus' compassion to the leper, um, his extraordinary willingness even to touch him, right, to, to receive him. Again, Jesus is a striking a contrast to the Pharisees and the Jews here in that he reaches out to, has, has table fellowship with um, and befriends hated sinners. People who were, who were reviled, who were kept at arm's length. It's not, again, because he condones their, their lifestyle that they've been living, but he's confronting their sin in order to give mercy, to, to deliver them. Uh, Jesus actually turns the Pharisees' perspective 
upside down here, right? They thought that they were the righteous. The tax collectors were the, the, the sinners, the really bad sinners. But actually, it was these apostate traitors who are now righteous in God's sight because they had responded to Jesus in repentance and faith. And it's the Pharisees who are left as unrepentant sinners. And the rest of the New Testament teaches that repentant sinners not only receive forgiveness from Jesus, uh, but also receive his righteousness. They become righteous. They become the righteous. Right? God sees them as, as obedient sons and daughters, loves them like he loves Jesus. Right? When you, uh, the salvation received from the Lord is not just a, a slate wiped clean as if we'd never done anything, but it gives us the righteousness of Christ as if we'd been obedient. Uh, sons and daughters all along. So Paul describes in Romans 3, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but are justified by His grace as a gift. And that, that gift is, is being made right with God, righteous before God. So again, Jesus' point is not that there are some who are righteous, some people who are doing fine on their own, and there are others who are sinners who need him as a, as a physician. All need his forgiveness. The, the Pharisees, again, don't see their need. They think they're righteous. But Jesus comes to all, uh, to call all people to repentance and reconciliation with the Lord. And uh, what we see um, throughout the Gospels is that some, like Levi, uh, repent. They, they've opened themselves to God and confessed their sin and their guilt and, and they resolve to let God work on their heart and change their lives. Um, another wonderful aspect of the gospel that this passage teaches uh, is that Jesus calls anyone in any circumstance, any lifestyle to fellowship with himself. That, that's not to say that Jesus is, is not calling people to repentance, to, to radical change of their lives when they, when they follow him. But the point is that there's no need to prove yourself for, for a time first, to, to build up a spiritual resume or something like that, to clean yourself up, to be worthy of Jesus. Right, the Pharisees would rather have seen Levi and these other tax collectors clean their lives up before uh, any self-respecting Jew, especially a rabbi like Jesus, would be willing to spend time with them and go to their house for dinner. They would rather have, have seen them show lots of evidence of, of repentance and so on. But with the first step in true faith, the first step in repentance, is acknowledging your helplessness, acknowledging your inability to clean yourself up. And that's what Jesus receives. There's no need to clean yourself up first. Filthy sinners who acknowledge sin are welcomed by Jesus through repentance and faith at any time. So we, we come back to this question, why did Jesus call Levi? Why did he call Matthew? Well, Jesus glorifies himself in forgiving sinners. In, in transforming sinners. And he reveals that more and more as, as his mission. This is why he's come. To call people to repentance. To transform lives. And, and he demonstrates that that's why he's come. He hasn't come to, to build an army or to grow fame and, and importance in himself. Uh, he's not on a search for talent or, or power or prestige. But humility for opportunities to demonstrate his grace. 
So he does that even in, in the, the disciples that he calls, the apostles. Jesus would glorify himself in calling Levi, not because of Levi's qualifications, not because he had an impressive resume, but actually he would glorify himself through more through, uh, he would glorify himself, glorify himself more through the fact that Levi was so unqualified. Right? He, had, he had no resume to point to. It was so unexpected. Some of you know that um, Carly's brother-in-law has a, a dairy in Idaho, and I was asking him a while back about um, his his employees, has a good number of employees, and whether when he hires them they come with lots of experience from other other dairies and farms and so on. And interestingly, said he prefers to hire people who have never worked on a dairy before, uh, so that he can train them specifically how he wants things to be done. And they're not bringing uh, their own um, old habits and overconfidence that they know how to do things best and that sort of thing. Well, Jesus delights to call people who are humbled and broken and messed up and have regrets and are not spiritually uh, pious and, and mature and so on. Jesus desires to glorify himself through you in the same way that he did through, through Levi. For you to come humbled and broken down and, and desperate for his leading and training and maturing of you. Now that's not to say that, as is often said, uh, Jesus loves you just the way you are. Jesus loves you just the way you are. Now that, that statement certainly could be true in some sense, but it's, it's not true if it means Jesus loves you so you can just go on living the way you want to knowing that God loves you. It doesn't matter. Right? It's not true if it means God doesn't want to change you, doesn't want to call you to die to yourself, uh, take up your cross, be radically transformed. It, it, it's, it's, it can only be true in the narrow sense that, that you can know the love of God through Jesus no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. Uh, there's nothing you can do to earn Christ's call on your life. Right? It's, but it, it's not true that Jesus loves you just the way you are, as, as if Jesus is totally satisfied in, in where you are and what you've done. You're, you're good enough for him. Right? This, this crowd of, of dishonest apostates that Jesus having dinner with here had done nothing to deserve fellowship with Jesus. Except that at least Levi and perhaps others were coming in repentance and faith, uh, acknowledging their need for him. And so we're amazed that we should be amazed at Jesus' choice, his, his calling of Levi. Uh, what about you? Uh, Jesus' calling on you, his, his invitation to, to you to serve him, to bear fruit in his kingdom, uh, is, is equally as perplexing. And, and undeserving as his choosing Levi, the, the cheating, corrupt, traitorous tax collector, formerly, anyways. But it's a call to repentance to glorify himself uh, by his mercy through you and me as well. well thirdly, I, I want to just consider two things um, that, that Levi evidences here in, in his repentance and turning uh, to Jesus. And that the first of those is that repentance means radical and difficult separation. Radical and difficult separation. Uh, Levi is a good uh, example of, uh, even in a brief and simple way, of that being part of the uh, nature of, of repentance. Look at verse 14 again. 
where Jesus says, follow me, and, and we read simply, he got up and followed him. And stated so briefly, uh, we might miss the enormity of this. Uh, again, Luke adds a little bit more um, uh, to, to uh, enforce what's really going on here. Luke adds, and he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. Uh, Levi left everything behind. Um, he left at least a stable, uh, lucrative job and probably friends in it, and, and maybe just in the commitment to follow Jesus and learn from him for a time, he left uh, other friends and family. Um, what, what's implied, again, centrally here, it's, it's explicit in the story of Zacchaeus and others, uh, but what's implied here, again, is, is repentance. Is that, that Levi has, though he was a tax collector and all that that entails, he's acknowledging his sinfulness, he's, he's leaving it behind. And in some ways, uh, literally, geographically, economically, uh, leaving it behind to follow Jesus. It, it, was, it was a costly decision, his repentance. Um, a, a, humanly speaking, a risky thing um, for Levi. Now, even though Jesus doesn't call you necessarily to leave your job or to move, um, when, when you come to him, he, he does call you to a radical, difficult break for, from who you were without him, for who, from who you would be without him, uh, from the world. Uh, Levi, for Levi, Jesus becomes his priority. And so what Jesus, whatever Jesus asks, he's willing to follow and, and puts his relationship with Christ first. And that's, that's the nature of repentance and discipleship. Now, God may, in fact, call you to take a different job or, or to move or to make radical changes in your life for the sake uh, of Christ and his honor. But whatever it, he calls you to, it, it, we need to reflect on this. What, what does it mean to prioritize Christ as a disciple? Uh, for Levi, in that moment, it, it meant leaving everything behind and, and learning from Christ, being trained for him, uh, by him as, as an apostle. What does it mean to prioritize Christ that way in your life? Uh, it means, at least in, in every area of life, considering what he would have you do, what, uh, how, how you would do it versus how Christ would have you do it, and, and what he would have you choose. It implies and necessitates studying God's word, right? and knowing how it describes this world and your place in it, your calling and your purpose in this world. Uh, in every calling that you have in it, it implies being devoted to his body, to the church uh, in this world now, through which God cares for his people and his, where his word is, is proclaimed and where believers sharpen and challenge and encourage and, and serve one another. Elsewhere, Jesus says, again, if you don't give up everything, you can't be my disciple. That means we're called to serve Christ with everything. However the, however the world teaches you to view work, however the world teaches you to view your time and your abilities, however the world, uh, you know, whatever goals it gives you for yourself and your family and so on, it, it's a call to set those aside and, and to follow Jesus. That you would serve him in all of those things. It may mean stopping doing certain things and doing other things differently. At least it will mean having a different attitude and motivation and goal for everything, absolutely everything that we do in life. But secondly, um, that, that doesn't imply just drudgery or solemnity in following Jesus. Um, Levi is a good example of, of joy and loyalty 
in, in repentance and following Jesus. That's reflected in the big banquet that he throws for Jesus, for example. Uh, he's full of gratitude. He wants to honor Christ. Uh, but he also invites all of his lost friends to introduce them to Jesus in this scene. He's eager to share Jesus, to bring others to him, so that they also could find forgiveness in him. And that, of course, is what offends the Pharisees here. Uh, but I, I want you to see how both Levi and Jesus are examples to us in this scene, of this, this banquet that, that so angers and offends the Pharisees. Uh, first, Jesus is an example to us in his compassion here for those who are different, for those who are looked down on, for those certainly with whom he disagreed in terms of their, their previous lifestyle. Now, Proverbs warns us, other places in the Scripture warn us about certain association with, with others who are not serving the Lord or with fools, right? That there can be danger in that in, in certain kinds of association and not taking care. But Jesus sees these tax collectors not as people to avoid in every sense, but, but objects for his compassion and mercy if, if they would receive him. He shows them love and, and compassion. We need to learn from Jesus' heart and, and balance in this, that, that we would be willing to love and engage with anyone, whatever their lifestyle, their choices, and not stigmatize certain sins over others. The church does that in certain ways. I won't go into that now. If you want some ideas of how the church does that, and, Ask me later. We were not to suppose that some groups of people are more deserving of our love or more deserving our hospitality or time than others. Jesus is an example of that through his ministry. Levi is an example to us here in, in boldly bringing his friends to Jesus. Um, he couldn't know how they would respond, whether he might lose these tax collectors as friends. Right, If they didn't like Jesus' call to uh, repentance and, and change of career and, and so on, um, when they learned that, that Levi's rejecting their shared lifestyle as well, um, but he knows that they need Jesus. So repentance, like it did for Levi, repentance calls us to be radically separate, to be holy, to, to leave certain things behind, to follow Christ but at the same time calls us to engage others closely and eagerly with the gospel. Uh, we, we know that we ourselves would be hopelessly lost, but for the grace of, of Christ. So as you have opportunity to reflect on this passage and, and on this sermon this morning, think about why, why did Christ call you? Uh, what did he call you to? How is it that he's called you to repentance or still calling you to repentance? Uh, but at the same time, how has he called you to, to joyfully share him with others in your life. Let's let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you again for your word this morning. We thank you for revealing yourself uh, to us uh, in the person of Christ. In it, in it, uh, thank you for consistently revealing ourselves to us in our, our weaknesses and tendencies and sin. Um, we thank you for calling us to repentance in Christ and for the, the gracious, humble, and willing uh, call that we see in him. I thank you for how patient you've been with us. Um, Lord, help us to uh, turn away from the world and, and from sin in ways that we need to, uh, but help us also to eagerly and joyfully engage the world uh, for the sake of Christ, that others would turn to him and know him. And we pray this in his name. Amen.